Well, for months now, Jesus has been preaching to us the Sermon on the Mount, and we're coming to the conclusion of it this weekend. Believe it or not, we'll pick up the beginning of it next weekend. I'll explain that later on. But Jesus, in conclusion, tells us something that basically says, look, what I've told you is very, very difficult, but it's not rocket science. You know, he has just given us what seems to be the impossible life to live. As over these months, he has told us, I expect you to live a life without anger. I expect you to live a life without lust. I expect you to live a life without revenge. I expect you to live a life without a spirit of criticism. And I expect you to live a life that is so giving, that is such a norm of giving, that you don't even know when you're giving. It's so natural to you. I expect you to live a life not only without anxiety, but with, with, with such complete trust that it never occurs to you that God is not going to provide. I expect you to live a life that is one of daily self-improvement, but that not for yourself, but for others. <laughs> now, uh, we should be partially alarmed if we take that seriously. And Jesus told us that last Sunday. He said, look, the way is narrow and difficult, and few are those who find it. But today, in closing, He gives us the essence of how we're going to do that. If you would turn, if you have your scriptures with you, to Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to read from verses 15 through the end of the, through to the end of the chapter. And because these are so many verses, I'm just going to kind of meander through and interrupt my reading with comments here and there. It says in verse 15, beware, that's in the present tense, it means keep being beware. Always be, be uh, always beware. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Now this is what he's saying. What I've told you to do is impossible to do without God. But yet people always want to do it on their own. And many will try to do it without God. And they'll try to do it for their own reasons. But they'll fit in among you like, you're, like they're sheep. You know, sheep is a metaphor that Christ uses many times for believers. So what he says is among those who look like believers are going to be those who are doing what they're doing for their own selfish ends. Under their own power for their own reasons. I want you to note just for a minute the difference between a sheep and a wolf. A sheep virtually exists for other people's sake. From, from a sheep we get wool. When a sheep... When a sheep is killed, we eat. That's not true with wolves. A wolf exists for his own sake. Let me ask you to check out your brand of Christianity right now. That's what Jesus asks you to do. Sheep, wolf. For whose sake are you doing this Christian thing? Hudson Taylor was one of the founders of the modern missionary movement. And Hudson Taylor said this one time. I love this quote. He said, If your mother and father, or if your husband and wife, or if your brother and sister, or if your children, or if even your dog is not happier because you've become a Christian, chances are you haven't become a Christian. 
If someone else, if all of the people who are closest to you are not more joyful because you've become a Christian, chances are you have them. Many people become Christians because they say, well, I want a sense of peace inside. So does the world. Many people become Christians because they say, I won't be fulfilled. So does the wolf. But a wolf gets fulfilled and he gets a sense of peace from eating others, from acquiring, from filling himself. Not so a Christian. A Christian is fulfilled only when they give. So he says, beware that there are those among you who are doing this Christian thing for terms of self-improvement so that their lives will get better instead of so that everyone else's life will get better. And then he goes on to say this. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes nor figs from thistles, are they? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit. But the bad tree bears bad fruit. It says, a good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. How do you know these things? Watch them. Watch them over a long period of time. It takes a while to grow fruit. Watch them over. This is not rocket science. How do you know the real from the false? Watch them. Don't take what they say as evidence take what they live as evidence. There is nothing that is refutable about a life lived for Jesus Christ. You can refute any theological argument that a Christian puts out there. You can out-logic, you can out-resource, uh, you can out-think, at least come equal with a spirit of skepticism to those who would who would give you a relationship with the Lord or offer a relationship with the Lord, but you can't argue with a life that's lived for the Lord. I, I, I'll never forget a conversation I saw when I was in seminary. Two contrasting people. There was one person in seminary who was very skeptical, very angry. Uh, he had been evidently very hurt along his life, and he was, he was just very argumentative. Very skeptical. He was in learning all this theology stuff, but you could tell he didn't believe it. And anybody who came across him would get in a debate, he'd rip them to pieces. I mean, he just had a rapier wit. And there was another guy I knew. His name was John. Dan was the first guy. John was the second guy. John, John was just a simple little guy. He was, he, I, I can't tell you how cute this guy was. He just kind of a round little fella. Just always had a grin. Not the sharpest knife in the drawer, if you know what I mean. <laughs> he, he, he just was a sweet, sweet man. He had a tough time with the classes in seminary because he was just, just challenged by anything intellectual, but he had this simple faith. John had come further in his life than he ever thought he'd come. He was kind of a farm boy, and he never expected that he didn't get anywhere, but here he was in seminary, and God had called him to be a pastor, and he's pastored this little country church. John never thought that anybody could love him because he, he wasn't too much to look at. But he had found somebody who, who was crazy about it. And he couldn't believe it. Every day he'd come in and say, I can't believe she loves me like that. I can't he was so excited. 
He'd been married for several years now, and, he'd, and they'd had a couple of kids. They didn't think they could have kids, but they were blessed with a couple of kids. And, and they were all just kind of little round people. They kind of looked like a Weeble family, you know? <laughs> it was just so... And I just loved John. He'd come in and he'd just say stuff about Jesus. Well, one day in the seminary cafeteria, John and Dan sat at the same table. And John began to expound about his faith on G in Jesus. And, and Dan just, just took him to task. I mean, raked him up one side and down the other, took everything he had said and made John look like an absolute fool. And then, at the end, looked at John and said, John, I wouldn't trade your brain for my dog." And John, I'll never forget this. With all of the simple and pure love in the world, looked at Dan and said, Oh, but Dan, I wish you could just have my life. You'd trade lives with me, wouldn't you? And for the only time I ever saw Dan show emotion, I just watched the tears well up in his eyes. And he got up and walked away. Five years later, Dan committed suicide. You can't argue with a life lived for Jesus Christ. You can't argue with a simple life that is lived out of gratitude for the grace of God that gives itself away continually. There is no refutation of a life like that. So Jesus said, day at a time, you're the givers. Give yourself away. And then he says, in verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, he's talking about Judgment Day. And he's talking about being the judge of the world. This, this is worth noting, although I'm not going to dwell on it because that's not the subject of this sermon. Jesus here is saying, I will be the everlasting judge of this world. I am the God who will determine who goes to heaven, who goes to hell. I will be the judge at the end of time. Now, there are many people who do not believe that Jesus is God and do not believe Jesus ever claimed to be God. There are several places in the New Testament where Jesus claimed to be God. This is one of them. Now, if someone claims to be God, you either got to believe it or you don't. There's no good man category to this. There's no great prophet. There's no good teacher category to this. If you claim to be the everlasting, eternal judge of the world, then you've got three choices in your appraisal of that person. Either he's a liar, he knows he's not God, but he's trying to seem like he's God, or he's a lunatic. He's not God, but he thinks he's God, or he's the Lord. Those are your only choices there. So don't ever let anybody say, Jesus, well, I don't believe in Jesus was God, but he was a good man. No, he was either a lunatic or he was the Lord. The good man stuff is not a choice here. It says... Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? 
and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, now I want you to stop right there and I want you to take that section and I want you to think with me for a moment. There are many people who believe that doing good deeds, even doing good deeds in the name of Christ, are going to get them into heaven. These were obviously those people. They said, look at all the great things we've done, all the spiritual things we've done. We cast, we prophesy, very spiritual. We cast out demons, very spiritual. We did miracles. Very spiritual. But Jesus said the most important thing was missing. You didn't have a relationship with me. Christianity is not about a religion. It's not about even making the world better. It is about a relationship with me. And until you have that, all of those efforts are things that you want to do. You see, those were bragging points on Judgment Day. Look at everything we did in your name. The emphasis was not in your name. The emphasis was everything we did. And therefore, I deserve heaven. Jesus loves us enough to say to us the truth. None of you deserve heaven. None of you do. No matter how many great things you do in this world, even if you do them perfectly, even if you do them wonderfully, Jenny Lind was a great singer earlier in this century. She had a beautiful voice. She was a Christian. And she worked on that voice and the technique of that voice and she became better and better. And in the middle of the apex of her career, she quit. People couldn't believe it. And they asked her, why? And she said to them, I became so concentrated on getting to be a better singer that I stopped thinking of people. And I stopped my relationship with the Lord. What other choice did I have but to quit? That's key. The relationship with Christ must come first. And then what we do will have meaning. It says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came down and the winds blew and burst against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act upon them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and burst against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Now I want you to notice something about this scripture. Everybody who lives builds a house. You and I were all building something. And the question is not how well we build what we build, but on what do we build what we build? 
Is what we're building on our own opinion, on our own knowledge, on our own appraisal of what's good in this world, or is it squarely on Christ? That is a very, very important distinction. You see, we're not down here to be good people. When we are in heaven, we will look back and we will say, how glad am I, am I that I lived the life I did? How glad am I that I had the relationships that I did? Many of us today surround ourselves with people who make us feel good. You ever notice that? I just like to be around them. They just make me feel good. They make me laugh. They make me, they make me uh, feel accepted. They boost my self-esteem. They, they, they love me for who I am. Now, there's nothing wrong with any of that. But you know what we'll be glad of when we get to heaven? We'll be glad of those relationships that prompted us to do the will of God. I mean, pure and simple. No, no matter how they made us feel, we're going to be glad of those people we had in our lives that either helped us do the will of God or we could help them do the will of God. That's what we're going to be grateful for eternally. Not that somebody made us feel special. Although there's nothing wrong with feeling special. But we're going to be glad that someone actually helped us build something that lasted for eternity. And they helped us build it on Jesus Christ. And that's why it lasted for eternity. We've got to realize the difference between pushing lamps and pushing lights. You know, you know the story of W.C. Coleman. You, you, you know the Coleman lamp, the gas lantern. Everybody knows the, uh, anybody who's ever been camping knows Coleman lamps. But many people don't know how he got started. He started by a whole new concept of marketing. You see, he started out selling these lamps of these little propane things. And, and, the, and, the, and the, the light was so much brighter than any other light. But these lamps, because of the way they were made, would get little holes and let out the propane. And they weren't as dependable as candles. And so Coleman would go into these towns and he would say, I want to sell you not a lamp, but the light. If you buy the lamp, if you try this, I will make sure that any time that light goes down, I come down immediately, repair the lamp so that you can have the light. And that's why his company grew to the extent it did. He was not pushing the lamps. He was guaranteeing the light. I want to ask you about your Christian life. Are you selling the lamp? Or are you sharing the light? Jesus said, I'm the light of life. He who walks with me will never walk in darkness. We've got to figure out whether or not we're trying to push the lamps that keep getting leaks, <laughs> or we're really trying to share the light that never leaks. That's what Christ said. When you hear these words of mine, and you do them every day, then you're building your house on a rock. Then you are glad you're living the life that you did. You see, it's not about um, investing in us. I hear, I hear Christians say, well, God really invested in me. <laughs> well, you got to be careful there. God only invests in you as far as you'll invest in others. Remember that. 
God only invests in you as far as you'll invest in others. You know what happened in the last uh, 10 days ago when, the, when we had the stock market scare? When the Asian uh, uh, stock market looked like it was going to collapse? Basically, the situation over there is that they've had a lot of foreign investment, but most of that, the overwhelming majority of that foreign investment has gone into long-term real estate or other non-export sectors. And what is interesting is that when you have that kind of economy, the only thing that keeps it going is confidence in the currency. But when you have an economy like ours that has a great deal of exportable goods and a wide variety of people who need those exportable goods, then the confidence is not just in the currency. The confidence is in what is useful to other people. I want to tell you the same thing is true in Christianity. The, the thing that makes our life as a Christian sta uh, stable, that makes us a good bet, is not that we have this much invested in our individual lives. We have this thing that other people need. We practice to export. We don't live just for ourselves. This is not a long-term real estate investment here. We're all going to die. You know, this real estate's going to shuffle off this mortal coil. But, but the real value here is that we are exporters. We are givers. And so Jesus says, if you hear these words of mine and do them, if you live them every day, if they do something to make a difference in the world. I, I always love to see you all in the community, to hear about you all in the community. I love the fact when I went to vote this week, I saw a ton of you guys there. Hey, do I do? Saw you. I love the fact when, when Z88 had its uh, little share-a-thon deal this week. I listened to that. I love to listen to the share -a more than I love the music. Because I, I love to hear all these people from all these different churches call in and support something that only benefits them a little but benefits others greatly. And I love the fact every time somebody from Northland calls in, oh, yeah, good for you. Your faith is out there. You're building something out there. You're outside the walls of the church. Good for you. That's great. I love the fact that when I go out, you cannot believe how many times people, after they find out who I am, they'll say, you know what? Somebody from your church did something for me I'll never forget. That's when you know that a life for Christ is being lived and not just a theology of Christ being heard. You see, faith is not just believing something regardless of the proof. Faith is living something regardless of the consequences. There's a huge difference between those two. But if the second one doesn't follow the first, you didn't believe the first one rightly. So let me close with this. I remember reading Tennyson's Idols of the King. It's a great epic poem about knights of the round table. And in there, there was the oath of a knight. It was very simple. It had four component parts. The oath of a knight swore to live pure, to speak 
truth. To right wrongs and to follow the King. You reverse that order and we'll be going someplace called the Sermon on the Mount. Pray with me. God, let us follow the King every day. And let us right the wrongs in our lives, not for the sake of self-improvement, but for the sake of others. And let us speak the truth of Christ. And let us live His purity every day. Lord, we thank You that we do not have to depend upon theology to be our reality. But theology becomes reality only when we live it. We thank You that we do not have to depend merely on belief, but that in our lives, belief becomes fact. And promises are promises and facts are facts. And we have both from You. And so help us to live Christianity every day as You supply it to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.